You're good. Hey folks, this is episode 17 of Up In Your Business. Uh, it's been two weeks. We apologize. We missed you all. Uh, hope you missed us. Uh, today is a very special episode. We're here with the one and only Kevin Fleck. And uh, Kevin is uh, a pretty special character here. We've uh, been friends with Kevin for almost two years now. And um, so you might have seen Kevin in some of the content we put out. Um, anyway, Kevin is a retired staff sergeant in the Special Forces, also known as the Green Berets. Uh, he did a few tours in the military, um, and that ended in 2011, his last tour of which he got shot in Afghanistan. Um, you may have seen either the documentary or the trailer for it that we produced for him um, last year. And um, we really just built a, a really great relationship with Kevin ever since we first met. Um, and over the past few years... Uh, Kevin started sharing his story with companies and organizations across the country, uh, doing a lot of public speaking, and that's been going really well. So uh, we're really grateful and uh, super happy to have you in here today, Kevin. Mike and Mike, <laughs> thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Welcome to Pawtucket. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful here. Yeah, so studio is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's it. We're gonna get um, right into our right into our first thing here, Kevin. I don't know how many episodes, if any, of you listened to. Uh, I have not had a chance to listen to him yet. Yeah. All right. All right. We're not mad. It's okay. Yeah. Hey, you come take care of my kids for a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Trust I me. I told you. I'll babysit I'll spend time. some time listening to the podcast. <laughs> All right. So our first segment here we do uh, is called 20 Questions. Okay. It's not actually 20. We're getting close to there, but uh, it's just kind of like rapid fire. So don't think. Just yeah. answer. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So here we go. Favorite color? Red. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Left or right? Right. Pick a number, one to ten. Seven. Favorite number? Seven. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Hot coffee. Steak or chicken? Steak. Oreo or Chips Ahoy? I don't eat cookies. Fuck you. <laughs> Favorite vegetable? <laughs> Broccoli. Mac or PC? PC, or sorry, Mac. Work from home or in an office? <sighs> Man, work from home. Okay. Uh, your biggest inspiration or role model? My wife. Awesome. Last time you ran a mile or close? This morning. All right. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. Everyone says seven. Everyone says seven. So I laugh because everyone says, says seven. I think there's maybe one person who didn't say seven. Like, pick number, what's that number then that they said? Oh, oh, uh, maybe three. Yeah. I think it might have been three. Hmm. But yeah, everyone says seven. Um, so anyway, that's funny. All right. So uh, we're going to get right into it here. So, Kevin, give us a little background of uh, where you grew up and, um, uh, you know, where you're from. Sure. Yeah, I'm from a small town called Stillwater. It's right outside of Saratoga in upstate New York. Um, you know, spent my entire life there. My mother still actually lives in the house that I grew up in there. Just an awesome, awesome place to grow up. Uh, real small town America there. And I think because of that, just had this really tight-knit community there. And so had incredible coaches, incredible teachers, incredible mentors you know, that showed me right from wrong, that, that really instilled work ethic in me, um, you know, in addition to my parents doing that every day. So I feel incredibly fortunate to have grown up in that environment. And I think it's made me into the person that I am today. And then, you know, kind of after I joined the military, after getting hurt, um, that, that, that community really banded and helped out my family and, and really lifted me up. And, um, so walk us through a little bit. Um, I know obviously we know your whole story front and back, but, um, tell us, like what kind of inspired you to join the military? So, you know, I, I went to an all boys Catholic military school in the area. Um, and so I think that that kind of, that really set me on this path, right? You know, the school taught me three things, right? How to love God and how to love my country. And, you know, it also taught me that there's just things out there that are just bigger than yourself. Um, and I always wanted to, to be able to, to kind of take all three and do those things uh, with my life. And so, you know, when I was a freshman, I was sitting in their military science class there, and they were showing this video of, like, Navy Navy SEAL Hell Week, and, like, half the class is looking out the window, the other half is like, why would anybody want to do that? And I'm like, oh, my God, that looks amazing. <laughs> like, oh, and that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and so I just had this fascination going forward, like, with the military and especially, like, special operations units, and just how hard it was and the camaraderie. Uh, so I was like, man, this is something I want to do. And then 9-11 happened in my senior year of high school. So to me, that really 
convinced me like, you know, this is a fascination and now it's kind of your duty. This is the path you need to take. Interesting. How many people, like, cause it's a military boy school, you said, right? Mm-hmm. How many people would actually join the military after Are you were required to? Oh, uh, you know, no, you definitely weren't required to, right? Um, just, I think probably the natural inclination of it being a, you know, a military school, you're going to have a higher percentage of people that join right. the service academies, do ROTC or enlist out of high school there. Did you uh, did you ever have like the cliche um, kind of like when you when you were a kid like oh I want to be a police officer or an astronaut or was there anything like that or was it the first kind of the first kind of thing for you was the military what? Yeah I mean like when I was a kid right I wanted to be like an astronaut yeah. um, you know not good at math so can't do that <laughs> didn't work uh, out right yeah you know <laughs> not yet right um, but I think you know, when I saw that video and in that moment at 14, like that was the first real time in my life though, where I was like, wow, this is something I really want to do with the rest like of Like really life. hit you. Yeah. Yeah. And you played football too, right? Right. Yeah. I played football uh, from the time I was eight till I was 22. So wow. played in college also, um, you know, played the whole time that I was at school there. So sports was a really big thing in my family. Um, and also, you know, obviously, you know, religion was a big thing in my family part of the reason why we went to that school mm. uh, but also you know I grew up in a, an entrepreneurial home like my father was a serial entrepreneur started a series of different companies until he finally hit his his thing which was dollar stores in the late 80s all throughout the 90s and mm. the 2000s and so you know I grew up in that environment the entrepreneur house like the family business you know we went to school we went to we played sports and we worked right like yeah. summer vacation comes you're going to be working snow day. You're going to be working yeah. Christmas time comes Christmas vacation. You're going to be working, yeah. you know, so growing up in that environment, I think was very important for me because it showed me like what you can do, you know, with your life. If you put your enough effort into something, if you put enough hard work, enough focus into it, you're good. You can, you can achieve what you want to. My father, he graduated second to last in his high school class. He didn't finish college, but he's like, you know what? I don't want to ever work for anybody. I want to make money. Yeah. And so it just became the serial entrepreneur. So saw that hustle, saw that drive and just forced to go into work when I didn't want to go. <laughs> I think built up that work ethic in me. And then yeah. you, know, you have my mother on the other end, like supporting him, supporting the family, you know, so he can go and do this dream that he has here. But then like her undying belief in him that, you know, that he was going to make it. And then, also, too, like in our in the children that she had, was, I'm the oldest of three boys. Yeah. So every day that we'd leave the house, she'd kiss us on the cheek and she'd say, "You're a flake. You're an achiever." Right. You know, she chose her words lively or yeah. wisely. She didn't say you deserve anything. You're yeah. owed anything. It's yeah. like, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna do things. You're, you're gonna, gonna work hard happen. for it. Yeah. So they they were like just really great role models for you. Yeah, incredible. And I think it was kind of like the perfect petri dish for me to to flourish. And I know uh, I also have two brothers. I'm the youngest, but. Uh, I know uh, a mom of three boys. That's not the easiest job for sure. No. no do we I, all have two brothers? Oh, shit. Oh, we oh, do. Yeah, because I'm the middle. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, so we have like all ranges. <laughs> yeah. I'm the oldest. Oh, my God. The middle yeah. and you're the youngest. That's yeah. funny. I guess I'm the problem child. Oh, everybody calls it. You're the big time, the problem child. <laughs> yeah. You're the baby. Yeah. And then the oldest, of course. Yeah, you, know, you had yeah. the most probably restrictions on you, right? Of all course. the rules and everything. Yeah. And by the time it hits Mike, there's uh, two you can do whatever you want. anymore. Yeah. So yeah, we, we think we're going to, my wife and I will just avoid that. We'll just have two kids. So there's no middle child <laughs> yeah, or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. We'll see what happens, the problem right? completely. Yeah. <laughs> and how old are your girls? Uh, five and three. That is a handful. Shout out Lila and Everly. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Lila and Everly. Love you guys. Those two are like made for the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Good girls. We've got to interview them next. they got to get an interview. They'll have plenty to say. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was also going to mention you had quite the uh, quite the hairdo back in high school and through football too. Well, so not through high school, right? So in, okay. in a, so it's so the all boys Catholic military school. So like every morning you get inspected, right? You, you like oh. your your shoes had to be shined, your face had to be shaved, you had to, you know, be very presentable. Um, you know, so I thought I was like, man, I want to go to West Point. I want to go to West Point. And then yeah. by my junior year, I'm like, oh my god, there's no way I want to do this for college, right? So. <laughs> I wanted to go to a, you know, a, just a, a regular college and I went to Union College in upstate New York, like really actually right near where I grew up it's in mm-hmm. Schenectady and uh, also played football. So like initially when I went there, I grew my hair out, had hair like down to my shoulders, you know, thought it was awesome, but I was also kind of like balding on top. So didn't <laughs> play that well, I'm losing my hair pretty well. We'll put a picture up there for you guys. Yeah. And then, um, you know, then decided it was like, all right, well, like I'm going to do a mohawk. And I remember my buddy was like, all right, I'm going to shave it for you. Where do you want me to start? And he like lifts my hair up and I'm balding and he's like, all right, well, I guess 
Just a little strip right here is perfect. So. <laughs> I know. I remember the picture, I think, that you put in your presentations, right? It's just the one little, like, yeah. short mohawk down <laughs> right, the middle. Yeah, one little thin strip down the, down the middle. Oh, is God. it true what they say about, I, know, I don't know if it's a legend or not, but about flipping the coin on the bed? Do you, were you staying at that high school? No, or, I no? didn't stay there. Yeah, no, we no. drove there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And it's, a, it's crazy because, like, for somebody who's had the military be such a big part of their life, right? Like, going to the school, joining the military, like, I am a complete slob. Like, I'm just like, like not, yeah, not like. Kim's not just like pissed. That. Yeah, right. She's terrible. The house is always a mess. It's, it's always my fault. Just ask her. Um, <laughs> but even like in the in the army, like my buddies would call me pig pen because they said I always look like shit all the time. That's funny. Yeah, as long as you get that. the job done, right? Yeah, yeah right. It's yeah, like so an organized mess. I was like, this doesn't mean anything. I'm still gonna do my work. Right. Yeah, I just yeah, don't yeah. care. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so you were saying that uh, your dad was such an entrepreneur and built his own business when before you decided to really commit to the military, did he want you to continue and follow the footsteps or? Yeah. I mean, that was really always the plan, right? I think, you know, you have any parent like that who spends a a large chunk of their life building up a company like the way that he did, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking that you're going to basically groom your children to pass the baton down. Um, Yeah. And so incredibly appreciative of like all the efforts that he put in the sacrifices he made along with my mother, right? The effort that she put in too. Um, None of this is possible without her. Um, the, but but after a while, I was like, I, this is just something I needed to do with my life. Right? Yeah. You know, I have like a finite period in which I can join the military and serve, and especially with the wars going on. You know, I was a very I was a very big proponent of both of those, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Yeah. And so it was like, if if you know, if I'm especially like I believe in these things, and I'm like out there supporting it, I, I got to get out there, and I have to physically support it, and so. I think that that was a really tough realization for my father to come to that like I wasn't going to necessarily step into this thing. Yeah. Um, I was going to sign this five-year contract, try to go become a Green Beret. I mean, you know, my decision to join the military was not necessarily a popular one. You know, I'm at a Northeastern Liberal Arts School. Uh, the wars in it's 2002, 2006. The wars are picking up. I'm yeah. defending them. I'm typically in the minority. Yeah. Um, and then also too, like I'm my family business is doing about thirty million dollars in revenue a year. Right. So it's not like. Wow. A small mom and pop shop. It's it's a pretty big yeah. thing for me to walk away from, yeah. you know. But, but no matter what I people would say to me, it just I knew this is exactly what I needed to do with my life. Yeah, I mean, for you to have that kind of like even in your head, like knowing like wow, I could go into the family business and make a ton of money and like just do really well and not have it handed to you, but to kind of just walk into it and have this business and but to still in your head be like, this is what I want to do. I feel like that's kind of like all right, you really got to follow that. Cause if there's that much pressure, like, or, you know, like power in your mind, like that you want to follow that. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I just, from an early age realized, like, I just didn't want to have any regrets in life. And so yeah. if like there was something I wanted to do, I needed to get out there and I needed to pursue it and yeah. maybe it would work out. Maybe it wouldn't, but like at the end of the day, I wouldn't have that regret. I yeah. wouldn't say to myself, well, you know, maybe if I tried that, there's no question. Right. There's yeah, no yeah. question. Anything. Exactly. Did any of your brothers uh, end up taking up the family question. business? No, actually, none of them did. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I think it kind of like it got to a point. Um, it was even, you know, once I was getting towards the end of my contract, um, you know, thought that I would, you know, still maybe go back and take everything over. But then, you know, I had to go on this last deployment to Afghanistan. And then my life pretty much changed from that point, I think. Yeah. At that point, my, my dad was kind of like, all right, you know, it's time to kind of move this thing along and, yeah. um, you know, sell off what we have here. And Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, business is, is no longer around. Was there when you, you know, like when you were deciding not to go into the family business, was there resistance from your parents or were they supportive of your decision or like a little bit of both? Or uh, My mother has always been the most supportive person, right? And that's yeah. kind of the one you would not. I guess think that from in terms of like joining the military. Yeah, true. Especially yeah, especially when there's a war going right, on as well. Yeah, yeah. And you're like gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna be a Green Beret. <laughs> like, um, she was the most supportive um, throughout the whole time. My father was definitely supportive, but I think it was more guarded in terms of like, you know, he supported what I wanted to do. I think he understood it, but yeah. at the same time, like, was also like, this is very serious and the things that can happen are yeah you know final right 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 i mean you obviously got injured but you know lucky you made it out alive right yeah and like any i'll never forget to um 
the I was home for like a week before I went on my first deployment and you know I was flying back out of Albany that's the area that I'm from and then gonna fly back to Seattle and get ready to go to Afghanistan and like father brings me to the airport and he's just like you know crying um because yeah. he he's you know got this idea you know knows what I'm, I'm i'm going into you know yeah um and then my mom too i mean i think that she understood that too but she just kind of was able to like uh, hide it a little bit better how much were you uh were you able to tell your parents or how much did you tell your parents about what you were doing overseas and did that kind of strike a nerve with them or anything you know, I was always really guarded in terms of like telling them like what was happening. Um, I guess that's a Green Beret way too, right? Yeah, you know, just kind of being pretty quiet, but you know, quiet professionals, right? That's kind of what you call yourselves, and it, it has a couple of meetings in terms of like you know you're just gonna go out there, you're gonna do your job, you're not gonna brag about it, and the recognition that you seek is just knowing that like you did your job to 100% of your ability and didn't let anybody down. Um, you know, but then I think it's taken to an even higher level of like yeah, we're just not gonna talk period not <laughs> kind of story about anything yeah. um and you know you kind of have this like healthy fear of you of like the operational security and you don't want to be giving things out but then at the same time too like i just didn't want my family worrying about me yeah um, so i i had them convinced for a very long period of time that like i wasn't doing anything we weren't leaving the bases <laughs> really like, i was just working on the trucks like you know no big deal just yeah. keep their mind at ease right yeah. right like would never really let them know what had happened um I, it was kind of like when I got back from my first deployment, the cat was like out of the bag. Um, you know, we got into some, some pretty decent firefights. Um, the two weeks before we went home, got into a 10 hour firefight, had never thought I was going to die more in my entire life than that 10 hour period. It was like a crazy way to kind of exit the deployment. And like that experience shook me like to my core of like just purely thinking I was going to die, not dying having a conversation with myself while I was trapped on a mountaintop about like, Oh my God, like you're going to die here. You're 26 years old. Yeah. Um, asking myself questions about like how I'd live my life and what kind of person I was. And like, you know, I tell people, I'm like, look, the worst thing that can ever happen to you in life is like when you have this type of conversation with yourself and you don't really like the answers you get back. And that was kind of how I felt in that moment there. Um, I felt like I'd, I'd kind of taken everything for granted in life. Like you always think you're going to have this next opportunity to talk to somebody, to say hello, to tell your wife you love her, like to tell people how much they mean to you. And I was like, holy shit, like this is it. Yeah. Like this is my last day here. Um, and, you know, to then come back from that, and it's like it's just such a life-altering. Not only like your, it's your first combat deployment, that's a life-altering experience, but then to have that kind of be the way you cap it off, come back home, um, really rough transition for me back home uh, with all of that going on and then especially too we get back on a Friday we come home on a Monday or come back to work on a Monday and we're like hey, you guys are going to go back to Afghanistan in seven months yeah um, so you know tried to, to, to really uh, I tried to do as much as I could to shield everybody from like what was happening while I was overseas uh, but also you know tried to do a, especially in the second deployment a better job of like, communicating with them yeah kind of learn as you go yeah yeah it's, it's funny like i knew something was going to happen right like the series of events had occurred the um in between the deployments one of my like best friends i got hit with two grenades and i gotten shot and i remember just seeing him like on the the gurney getting wheeled into the room kim and i my wife were the first people to see him when he got back stateside and i was like oh man i'm like i just feel like that's gonna be me um and then like one of the days i was visiting him and he just like pops out of like his drug-induced coma basically he's like you know you're gonna get shot at your next deployment and then he just like passes back out I'm like, oh my god um you know i go on the deployment um it was a really long deployment normally you don't have leave for the special forces but it was so long we had leave and i'm like had this like two-week period at home and i'm like you know kim's like what if this is it what if this is the last time we get to see each other and I'm like, oh, no, don't worry. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, this could be it, right? Like, we had yeah. this, these big missions planned for, when, um, like, later that month when I was going to get back. And I just remember saying to somebody, I'm like, if I can get through the next month, I think I might survive the deployment. Um, you know, we go back out. We go on a couple sets of missions. You know, uh, we go on this one mission, get into a little firefight. The next day, we go back. Or, you know, it's, it's full. It's funny because before we get picked up, I'm standing on a school top. And... I'm with a guy on my team and I'm like, Hey, so what do we got on deck next? What's next? We turn around 
and he's like, see that valley? I'm like, yep. He's like, that's where we're going. And he's like, is it going to be bad? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be bad there. <laughs> so we, we get back from that mission, go back to, you know, sleep, refit our gear a little bit. I'm getting ready to work out one day. And we have like a three-day, you know, like two and a half, three days in between the missions. And I go to take my, my necklace off. And I'm, I'm reaching around it. And I was like, the St. Michael's medal had fell, fallen off on the previous mission. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is like, no, like... Like something bad's gonna happen here. Like these are all these omens continue to pile up, and then I actually wasn't on the roster for that mission. Like I wasn't supposed to go that day um, for that mission. We we're supposed to be like the the quick reaction force commander, and so like that basically meant I'd have the night off because ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time we're not gonna call our QRF. It's basically like, hey, you stand by with these guys, have your like gear prepped, watch a movie chill yeah, yeah. take a nap just in case just, just in, in case, case. it's ba- it was basically a way to give guys a night off give them a little of a bit of a break so that was supposed to be my role for this mission but i was like dude no way i'm like i know a firefight's gonna break out and i would hate myself if that happened and i wasn't there so i begged my team sergeant to go on this mission like and i knew i'm like i knew something was going to happen to me but i begged him I was like, you have to let me go on this mission. You have to go. I convinced him. Like, you're going to need me. This is going to happen. And he's like, all right, well, if you can find somebody to take your spot, you can go. And so I found somebody to take my spot as the, uh, like the QRF commander so that I could go on the mission. Um, and then actually, like, it, got, it was so last minute that uh, like the final manifest that got sent up didn't include me on it. So when I got shot, you, you normally get a purple heart. I, I didn't get my purple heart for like a couple of months because I wasn't technically on like the, the, the list that they had. So guys had to like do these sworn statements oh, that I was on the God. mission. They're like, yeah, that was definitely him that got shot. See that? Yeah, that was no, him. No, it's him in the hospital. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Maybe they thought you like snuck out just to join up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, wait up. Um, what, I mean, was the military like what you expected? Yeah, dude, it was just like, even more than I expected. Right. Like I think they like the the experiences that I had there through like the training, through the combat, the camaraderie, like every aspect of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, you can only prepare yourself so much until you just go and do it. Right. Right. And I think that that's a really good lesson for a lot of things in life is that, you know, you, you, you prepare as much as you can. You ask the questions, you do what you have to do physically and mentally prepare for something, but ultimately like you just have to make that decision, put your head down and go and do it. It's probably the same thing with starting a business. I mean, I saw it with my father on a daily basis, right? um, You know, I see it. I'm in tech right now, uh, work for a startup. Like, I see it on a daily basis. Like, there's only so much you can do until you actually just have to go out and do it. Yeah, see what happens and learn from it. Yeah, exactly. you know all about learning from it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, paying for my mistakes. (laughs) What's something that you might have, the special forces might have taught you that you didn't expect? I think... You know, I, I was really attracted to the special forces, you know, the mission statement, right? De oppresso liber, to free the oppressed. You know, so you're going to be working with foreign cultures. Like you work on a 12-man team, you go to foreign countries, you train their militaries and their militias, and then you're kind of like a consultant, right? Um, and then, But then in the case of like in Afghanistan and Iraq, you're going to actually fight alongside those guys. So the guy to the left and right of you during a firefight is not going to be an American. It's going to be uh, a soldier that you spend time training. So that's what attracted me. Like, this is awesome. Like languages, cultures, customs, like just amazing. Um, And so that's initially what attracted me, but I didn't really fully grasp how hard that was going to be. Right. And so it taught me an incredible level of patience uh, to have to deal with other people, to understand, to go into a different culture, to understand like, these are the customs. This is the religion. This is how they do things. And by the way, you're a guest in their country. So like you're gonna you're playing by their rules, right, right. and I think those are some of the initial mistakes I made earlier on, like in the Philippines and Afghanistan on my first deployment of like walking into a situation thinking that you're gonna respect me because I'm a Green Beret, and I'm just gonna do my thing. Uh, that's not the case, right? Yeah. Like you gotta earn the respect, you gotta abide by their cultures, abide by their customs, learn them, show you're interested in it. Um, and then that's how you're actually going to attain mission success. Kind yeah. of like you were saying when, um, you know, you're growing up, like your mom never said, like, you deserve this. You have to earn it. Right. Exactly. Same thing. Yep. And does your personality, because you're a very personable person, do you think that 
did you learn that from that experience or have you always been like that? I think I've always been like that, but I think it really was developed quite a bit through that experience. But then you think also too, right? You go through like a two year, you're going to go through a month long selection process and then you're going to go through almost two years of training, you know, in which they're really trying to like hand select, weed out and cultivate that type of person. Right, that you have to be very personable. You have to be able to build rapport. Right, and then you got to be able to think outside of the box to solve crazy problems. Um, you know, just you know, you're always going to never have the amount of logistics you need. Things are going to be going wrong all the time. And then also dealing in these foreign cultures, like you're going to have to think of like crazy out of the box ways to build rapport. Yeah. So after you got shot, and like I know you've said this before, but like, what was going through your head? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing, as soon as I got shot, I mean, it was the most intense pain I had ever felt in my entire life. I yeah. almost blacked out from how bad it was and just laying on the ground, like had to gather myself. And, you know, you, you kind of have this, like, it seemed like years. It was probably just like seconds where I was like, okay, yeah, nope. You've probably just been shot. That's what that is, right? Like, uh, you know, I was like, did somebody literally, I was like, did somebody just come up and like hit me with a sledgehammer or something? Um, Did it knock you off your feet? Oh, yeah, definitely knocked me off my feet. And Such a a little thing. It's crazy, right? Bullet, like this big. There was was this funny picture from the hospital in which like my stomach is cut open. There's tubes hanging out of everywhere. And there's a little tiny, like not even a full size bandaid, like a small size bandaid over the bullet hole right next to it. Uh, yeah, compared to the scars you got now too, it's yeah. nothing. I know I can't even find it half the time. Cause it's like, <laughs> so small. That's but, crazy. Yeah. The uh, so you know after I, I kind of gained that composure, like my my helmet flew off because like I would just never buckle it, which is pretty stupid. But so that flew off, and then my earphones flew off also. So I was like, all right, man, you just been shot. I thought I'd been shot in the leg too, because the bullet hit my femoral nerve. And so the pain was like pulsating through right my through leg. leg. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, got on the radio real quick, called my teammates. Hey, this is my call sign. This is my location. This is what happened. I need help now. It's not a call they get every day. So they're like, they say again, like they were pretty surprised by it. Um, and they were like, we're like, we're actually really surprised how composed you were for somebody who just been shot. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, I'm fucking shot. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, repeated it, right? And then, you know, I thought, I was like, hey, man, you've been shot in the leg. And so if you've been shot in the leg, then your artery's been hit and you got two minutes to live. So let's roll. So and your training just went off just yeah, like that. Just in wow. the, like that's a testament, right, I think, to the the method, the, the, the man hours that went into all that, like the thousands upon thousands of hours of training yeah. that people put in in that moment. Like you're always going to revert back to what you know. And I think this is a great lesson for life. Like in times of stress, you revert back to what you know. Yeah. So you need to make sure you know the right thing, right? Like if you're in business and things are not going well, like you're going to revert back to what you know in terms of how you're going to deal with that stress. It's going to be the same thing for your personal life. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why I'm a, like we can get into this later, but like a big fan of the routines that you can do that you can place into your life and how you can make yourself more resilient so that you are reverting back to that. Yeah. So like in this moment right here, I reverted back to what I knew. I started to try to treat myself medically. Uh, there was really nothing I could do. You know, I made my way up and down my leg. There was no blood. I, I, but there was nothing like I made my way up and I saw a little speck of blood in my shirt and you know that's when I realized that you were shot up there, yeah. Yeah, not through the leg because there was no blood there. So I'm just laying there in the middle of the open, just like pain pulsating through my body, like minutes feeling like years. And yeah. um, got on the got on the radio the second time, and I was like, "You guys gotta get the fuck over here! Like this is terrible! <laughs> like yeah. this is bad! I need help now." Those guys were pinned down by some pretty heavy volumes of fire at that point, really, you know, trying to get to me. Yeah. Um, and then when I look up, there's an Afghan soldier who I'd spent almost two years training, right? And this is a testament to the Special Forces mission right here. This dude risks his life, runs out into the open, grabs me by my body armor, while bullets are flying around us and drags me behind the uh, the building. And then my team really starts to flood in from there. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I remember, like, when we first met and you were like, yeah, I have the GoPro footage. Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. Oh, I was... I was in shock and I also didn't know how to react because kind of like as a, a, a filmmaker and like a video person, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. But then I was like, 
wait a minute, this is not something cool. Like, <laughs> I gotta be reserved. <laughs> but you know, it is cool, man. But as soon as I said yeah. it, you were like, yeah, it's fucking awesome. I was like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, cool. It's all good. The person who likes to watch it the most is my mother. It's kind of strange. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, oh, she God. knows the ending, so. Yeah, that's true. true. Very true. But it's almost like a movie, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even I felt the same way where it's when we first met. I was like, I don't like. I don't know what I can touch. Yeah, like, how, what? A, how can I? End how can far I can I yeah. go? Yeah. And then I just realized, like, after knowing you for so long, it's yeah. ask whatever. You know, it, yeah, I don't look. think I've never not asked no, answered a question no. you've asked. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see if you can stump. Yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> we still got plenty of time. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I really believe that an experience is worth nothing unless you share it. And so yeah. I think I went through all of this. Like the purpose of my life now is to have gone through all these experiences, to gone through this valley of humility and go through depression, anxiety, despair. Yeah. pain suffering i feel like you name it i went through it yeah uh, but now i have this greater ability to empathize with people and understand the struggles they go through and now i can get in front of people inspire them tell them my story and yeah. you know, make them into the best version of themselves yeah because like i mean if you think about it like the impact that you could have on someone who um and like you've said like it doesn't have to be just someone who has been in the military like it could just be someone struggling with like drug addiction or they're addicted to drinking and you're a military person. So you're like, Oh, well I can't help them, but you've went through it. Yeah. And so there's something there that you helped you that maybe can help them or someone with some other challenge that, you know, something that you've gone through can really relate to them and it just impacts them. Yeah. I think it took me a little while to realize really kind of the full impact of everything for a little while. I thought it was just kind of this cool story about combat getting shot right. and, uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. But right. it, it took me, I would say probably in the past like two and a half, three years, I was like, wow, like there's so much more to this, right? Yeah. Like it's like, deeper. Yeah. Like th that's a cool part of the story and it sets things up. But like what's really interesting and what's really impactful to people and what people can really relate to is what everything that happened after getting shot. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. You know, the, everything else sets it up. That's definitely a part of the story. And I think it's relatable as to like how I took those lessons from training and deployments and like apply those to my recovery. But that's what people really can relate to. Yeah. And, and so going off of that, um, as far as you want, talk a little bit about the challenges that you, that you did go through yeah. post, post getting shot and coming home. Yeah. So I, you know, I had the six surgeries, incredibly invasive surgeries. The last surgery was at the Mayo clinic in Minnesota, uh, just an unbelievable institution there. They, they were the only people that would take my case there. Um, from every aspect of my recovery, like it's just a complete class act. Like the way that they, like if you have an appointment at two o'clock, your appointment's at two o'clock. You're not waiting. Like yeah. everything was run perfectly there. <laughs> you know, they were very upfront about how experimental the surgery was going to be, how invasive it was going to be. The the surgeons that I had, Dr. Spinner was unbelievable. Um, he was the neurosurgeon, the surgery for me. Just, I can't say enough about that place. Mm. Uh, but you know, when I left that, I had, you know, side of my stomach cut open. They had a nerve taken from my left leg and grafted back into my stomach. And so, you know, when I left there, I was prescribed 12 pills of Dilaudid, 12 pills of Percocet, and two Valium. That's insane. And I, it's crazy. It's 26 pills a day. Uh, but believe me, right? Like, that was the right thing to do at that time. Because when yeah. I actually woke up from that surgery, like, I was in more pain than I had been shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, after a while... Um, that just became this kind of crutch for me, I think, to deal with the gravity of the situation, right? Not the, only like the physical, but like the mental. The mental, right? Yeah. Like the trauma of the deployments, um, you know, seeing people harmed, killed, maimed in pretty much every single way you could you could imagine. Yeah. And like seeing, uh, you know, a child at the hospital missing a leg because he stepped on a landmine or like, you know, the time that I treated a three-year-old girl for shrapnel wounds, like just all of these things, wow. right? Like you think about, um, that, that happened, you know, having that, that, that mental trauma, you know, having this uncertainty for the future of like, you know, what am I going to do with the rest of my life now? What is, what does the rest of my life look like? What's my yeah. health going to look like? And then, you know, having something, I was define myself by my physical prowess, right? Like, yeah. and that's all taken away from you. Yeah. Everything. Um, and then also too, this, this guilt, right? Like we had three people get killed on the deployment. We had a fourth guy, a Rhode Island guy actually kill himself after the deployment. Um, Jesus. And, uh, you know, this then, then you're, you're sitting to yourself saying like, all right, well, all this happened to you. Why? Right. Like, uh, you're suffering. Why That's are you crazy. still alive? Like what's your purpose? And, uh, you know, I think that like 
pills and drinking really became um, something for me to deal with that, right? To, yeah. You know, the, Just the, like ease it. Yeah, the abuse of, of both of those. And so, you know, got my way down to like two or three pills a day. And, but I couldn't like, just couldn't like Get cut the cord, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, my wife sits me down like six months after the surgery. She's like, dude, is this it, man? Like, is this, is this what you're going to do with the rest of your life? And I just, you know, I was like, yeah, well, hey, it's a couple of pills a day. I'm a wounded veteran. I need this. I deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, she's a New Englander, so she wasn't having any yeah, of it. No she, bullshit. She's probably seen it plenty of times, too. Oh, her yeah. Own yeah, she, yeah. Yeah. So she's a nurse, right? right? So, like, you know, my wife has seen all this, you know, like, thank God she was a nurse. She's yeah. so helpful throughout this. Yeah. Um, but she's like, dude, is this it? And I'm like, you know, or this is, I thought you had goals. Like, I thought you had things you wanted to achieve. Like, is this how you're going to, like, honor your buddies? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was really kind of the catalyst, I'd say, right there. Like, I'd been really focusing on my physical care. But that's when I was like, I really got to start yeah. working on this, like, mental, mental and emotional yeah. side of the house here. Yeah. When I got out of the hospital, you know, I was having to do sponge baths and stuff. And, uh. So she's giving me a sponge bath one night and like, it was not easy. Right. Um, we had basically been gone for like three years and you know, I'm home for like a month or two at a time. And like when you're home, it's like honeymoon activities and everything's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it was like staring us in the face. It was like, well, I'm not deploying anymore and this is going to be real. And so we've had like three years of stuff happening and it kind of just all like the gloves were off. And so she's giving me this bath and, I was like, Dude, you know what? Why don't we just get a divorce? She's like, really? You think I, if I wanted a divorce, I'd be giving you a fucking sponge bath, you <laughs> asshole? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about after this, um, like kind of a switch, right? Like just went off and you just cut the cord with pills, stopped drinking, and um, you decided to get a dual master's degree. <laughs> yeah, so... One of the things that my wife did to really like keep me motivated um, was she bought me this book called How to Get into a Top Business School. I got out of the hospital, and she handed that to me. Like that's just kind of the type of person my wife is. No sympathy, <laughs> no empathy for me, whatever, right? Like suck it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> keep it moving. And so, you know, I started like every day I'd go to physical therapy 4 to 6 hours, come home and I would just start tearing this book apart, like highlighting, making notes in the margins. So I yeah. came up with this grand plan of like this is what I think I can do. So right when I was about ready to really dive deep into this, like that's when I found out I needed to go get my surgery at the Mayo Clinic. And at the same time, my teammate, uh, Ben Wise, was killed just like two weeks before the team came home from the deployment. So like I got this news about the surgery. Uh, ben was killed. I actually like delayed the surgeries for me to give like the eulogies and uh, did a, a lot of stuff with the family, um, you know, back stateside and then uh you know went and did the surgery and so the uh then kind of like spiraled honestly and that but that was kind of like this catalyst that my wife used like hey like i thought you wanted to go to business school like yeah and so that that was really my motivation i was like there's no way i'm going to be able to study for these exams there's no way i'm going to be able to like go through everything if i'm on a consistent basis of painkillers here not going to remember anything right Right, yeah so i stopped taking them and then started studying and you know, I scored a 17% on my first practice exam and I was oh like, my God, this is going to be a lot harder than I actually yeah. thought. Like, I got some work ahead of me. Yeah. And so, you know, I applied to three schools. I, I decided to kind of apply late. So I applied to Harvard Business School, to MIT Sloan School of Management, and the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Just swing for the fences, right? That, I mean, that's <laughs> like, I'm sure there's, I've never looked at business school or anything yeah. like that, but I'm sure there's some that are probably a little bit easier than the like top three in the country. I just, you know, I always say like, you set your goals, you set ridiculous goals for yourself. And then if you don't achieve those, like, and you fall a little bit, like I, I set ridiculous goals for myself. And if I don't achieve those and I fall a little bit short, I'm like, well, you still achieved a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, but Hey, it worked out, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Fuck okay, it. Go big or go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, I say like, all right, but, but do some backup schools or something. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, true. Yeah. Cause it's so like Phoenix can, online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to do like a homeschool. Oh, Jesus. Um, but yeah, so originally got rejected from both Harvard institutions and then got Wales at MIT. And that's when I was like, holy shit, maybe I should have applied to some more schools. <laughs> um, but uh, the, I, so I bought a plane ticket from Seattle to Boston. And I flew across the country and I walked up to the admissions office at MIT and I was like, hey, thanks a lot for the spot on the wait list. Now, like, what do I have to do to get into the school? And so I'm just curious, like the that conversation, like, 
you know, it's obviously <laughs> like a short thing, but I, I feel like a lot of like higher ed, especially like a big institution like that, like you yeah. can't like, I mean, you can, but what was that conversation? I can't even imagine what was running through their head when they see this kid walk in without an appointment. Yeah, I just came from Seattle and they're like, <laughs> what the fuck? And were you... Like, were you limping? Like, were you in a wheelchair? Was, no, you... no, I was limping, but I was, like, probably, like, 30 pounds of, like, muscle heavier uh, at the time. <laughs> so, like, this massive human being kind yeah. of, like, walks in. And, no, I mean, like, as soon as I found out I was out of the way, though, so I was like, all right, fuck this. I got to go there. Like, like I got – at that point, I was, like, on my – I was – my wife was pregnant. Yeah. Uh, I was retiring from the military. I had no clue my retirement was going to go through. I'm like – I'm like, this is literally my only thing that I have going for me right now. <laughs> like, crazy. Like, this has to happen. I have to make this thing happen. I was going to say, you're crazy, but so is your wife. Like, what is she doing? What is she doing with you? Oh, I know. Seriously. She's crazy to marry you. <laughs> it's gonna, I keep telling her, it'll pay off. Long-term investment. <laughs> the long-term investment, yeah. It's yeah. Like, a, like stocks, right? <laughs> yeah. This is a really, really long-term play. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, I'm like, dude, you got to go. And so, like, bought the ticket, like, just prepped the whole plane ride. Like, this yeah. is what I'm going to say. These are the points I'm going to make here. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and just walked in and was like, hey, I, I was uh, Kevin Flake. I got put on the wait list. I wanted to come here and say thank you so much for that. And now what do I have to do to actually get in? And just shocked. Like, yeah. Just, like, the face was like, holy shit. Who is Probably it? Like, like, do I have to call security? Heads. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> Literally flew across the entire country just to <laughs> yeah. get there. That must have shown something, though, honestly, like almost like when you're applying for like this job and you kind of like go the extra mile. Like, yeah. I mean, you went the extra 3000 miles, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know they like, sat me down and they're like, uh, OK, yeah, like these are some things that could help you out. And so I was like, all right, well, meanwhile, they're trying to be like, what the hell is who is this yeah, person? Yeah. No That's way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's crazy. They yeah. put your face up in the lobby. Yeah, just yeah. Don't, let him don't let this guy in. <laughs> Yeah, so then I just kind of like walk this like fine line of like, I want to show you I'm really interested in you, yeah. but I'm not a stalker, right? Right. right. So yeah. just continued to kind of walk along that line, and I got in. Um, three months later, I got accepted, and the, awesome. but then like I still had to like clear the military post, which was a huge endeavor. My wife was six months pregnant at that point, so like she travels across the country. I'm on the West coast trying to figure out like, all right, we have to get all the stuff. We have to leave. I have to have the army sign off on everything. Yeah. She's got to find a place for us to live, a place to like birth our child. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Because I mean, like from a technical standpoint, like after a certain point in pregnancy, you can't fly. Right. Right. Yeah. So she drove, Oh my God. she drove six months pregnant. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cross country. Kim is badass. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted to do it by herself. Oh, no way. And we're like, we're, like, we're not letting you. She's like, no, nah, I'm flying. We're like, she take her parents or something? Yeah, her mom went with her. Oh, we, we made it. Like, you have, you have to. to do yeah. this. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to get to points in the country where you're driving across like Wyoming and Montana. There's not going to be like people for fucking yeah. hours. Yeah. Oh, my God. Going to go crazy. Yeah. yeah that's I almost insane. went crazy on the ride home by myself. <laughs> yeah. Damn, she is badass. But the, um, yeah, so, she, you know, this is all happening, right? Like, um, you know, we, we get out there and move in, like have like a week in between like getting out of the army and starting school. Terrible way to do it. That's crazy. You know, and start school and like, wow, like just everything hit me. And yeah. it was, uh, it was a really tough year just with that transition process. Mm. Not to mention we had our first kid a week before midterms in the first term. So, I mean, we just really ripped the bandaid off, man. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, but hey, opportunity just doesn't knock at the most convenient yeah. times. I mean, yeah, was the timing terrible? Sure. Yeah. Would it have been there next year? Maybe. Maybe yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. But it goes back to what you said about questioning, like if I did that or if I did this. It's like yeah. screw it, let's just just go for it. It's right there. It's yeah. waiting for you. Yeah, it's right there. Let's take it. And then you know, that fall, like reapplied to to the Harvard Kennedy School, and you know, swallowed my pride, man. I didn't want to do it. I yeah. Didn't be like you know, but. uh you know, reapplied and was able to, to get into to pursue dual master's degrees at like the two top schools. Hey, it's just good proof you, that man. people make mistakes. <laughs> I'll take you up on those offers. So. <laughs> That's true. And so you graduated what 2016? Yeah, I graduated 2016. Um, it was a three year program. You know, you take four years of credits, you fit it into three years. Mm -hmm. So basically, when school was in session, I just went to the library seven days a week, opened that thing up on the weekend. Yeah. Kim was amazing. You know, we had one kid. We had our second kid the third year of uh, graduate school there. Timing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're great. You guys are great. Great at timing, right? <laughs> um, and just, you know, put the head down. And it was a great way for me to transition because it was brutal. 
Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> it, it was just really good for me. Like that was a good assimilation for me back into kind of the civilian world. Had really good classmates that helped me quite a bit. They were there for me, professors that were there for me at both places. Um, and then, you know, really gave me an opportunity to kind of like focus on, you know, a lot of public speaking. Uh, just knew I had this powerful message. So each each term I would take a public speaking class. Yeah. I had this professor, Don Sol, who worked with me tirelessly, like on my messaging and workshops and, you know, ways that I could expound upon everything. With everybody in these, with all the civilians in the classrooms with you, how is that relationship between, you know, making new friends and mm. um, kind of relating to them and talking to them? Yeah, I mean, I think initially for me it was really hard. Um, I was like, for the past six and a half years, really, my friends were Green Berets. I mean, I didn't lose the previous friends that I had. It's just that I never had time to hang out with anybody else except yeah. for, like, these Green Berets. Yeah. And so I, I'm, like, kind of thrust into this situation now, and I'm like, I don't, what, do I, what do I talk to people about? Right. Like, you know, what do, what do, what do we talk about? Um, and, you know, you're just so used to having kind of – this group of people that you talk, you know, shop about, right? Right, right. What is talking shop? Talking shop is about like the deployments, yeah. firefights, people that have gotten killed, your friends, like all of these topics that are not really, I guess, what you're going to be talking about typically at, at business right. school. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd walk away from conversations, be like, I don't know, people think I'm crazy. Like, I think a lot of it was more of myself in my head, right? Not, yeah. Like, classmates are great and, you know, very understanding, but still very hard to, to try to relate my experiences that I had to them in a manner in which they could understand it also. Did yeah. they know your story? Yeah. I mean, it, it got out, right? I, right. I wasn't, I, I always like, I say I would like talk too much because like I had this fear that people would be afraid to talk to me and afraid oh, to like, ask see. me questions. So and you so, felt like if you talked, yeah, yeah I get I, it. I, I was sense. like, wow, if I'm like really open about this, like, They'll see it. Yeah. They'll get it. Like, I didn't want, like, people to think I was, like, this stereotypical, like, you know, veteran who didn't want to talk about things. I get right. it. Some people don't want to, but, like, I yeah. didn't have a problem with that. Yeah. It's, it seems like it was kind of like therapy for you, which actually turned into something a lot bigger now. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing was therapeutic, right? Even, like, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because when when we flew to, when we went to Colorado and, and we were, we're at the airport with Mark, you weren't there yet, and we got there a little early, and he's like... So, uh, is this, is this guy like, you know, is he like this big military dude? Like, <laughs> yeah. is, is he like scary, intimidating? I'm like, Kevin, no, <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's a big teddy bear. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you he's like, Oh, is he, you know, is he really quiet? I'm like, no, he talks a lot. Like he's a great guy. Ask him anything. He's like, okay, you sure? And I was like, yeah. And you walked up and then you walked away to like, go get a, a water or something. And he was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Not what I pictured. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. Yeah. It's like, I was at a speech the other day and this woman came up to me afterwards and she's like, Hey, look, like, you know, don't take this as like a negative, but like, you know, you just look like a normal guy. <laughs> and like, you know, I think if like people saw you out there and were like, well, like if this guy can be a green bird, then like anybody can. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, is that a compliment? I don't, I don't know. How do you like, take that? Yeah. Like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Like, I think I look pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's what I was saying too. I was like, nah. I was like, he is just a regular dude. He's just yeah. a normal human. He's like, oh, okay, okay. But I can't see what you're saying. Where sometimes people have that kind of like, oh, yeah, just that notion. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, I think that that was kind of like something that I, I really tried to on on my uh, aspect and. You know, I think like the speaking stuff really started to take off when I was at graduate school, um, you know, be able to like use those public speaking classes and those forums. And then they had a thing um, in the second semester called the yarn where you had an opportunity to go in front of your classmates and talk for 10 minutes. And so people were like, you got to get up there. You got to get up there. Yeah, like, All right, yeah, I'll do it. And I did it. And I was like, it was really cool. Like, do you know, to, <laughs> the interest that people had in it and uh, to be able to kind of really go out there and, and lay it all out. Do you get nervous before? your uh presentations now the it's gotten a lot better like, you used, used to, to get be, like terrified of doing it hated yeah. public speaking um but i've just gotten really comfortable doing it honestly a lot of it depends on the audience that i'm going to go in front of um yeah i can imagine the surprisingly like the guys i get the most nervous in front of are like like if it's going to be like a special forces crowd yeah really uh, yeah yeah that's I, really interesting i would think the total opposite yeah i think it's just because like I'm just like, I always wonder like, Hey, what are these guys going to think? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. um, well that was like, like me. So for the listeners that don't know, we did the wounded by war documentary. Yeah. And when we premiered it at 
the Copley, Fairmont Copley, yeah. me getting in, up in front of those people and like grabbing that microphone is probably the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. I hate talking to people, yeah. but like I can sit in a business meeting or yeah. like, for example, we went back to FSU and yeah. taught a class where kids were younger than me mm-hmm. and I had no problem doing it. Yeah. But I don't know if it's just because it's like older people, if there was the amount of people that were there. That yeah, um, was a big crowd. Yeah. I actually prefer like speaking into bigger crowds. Really? Yeah. It's uh, easier for less me. Less intimate. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. That's true. You know, it's not as uh, up close and personal. Hmm. You know. Um, so talk a little bit about like how you really got into your speaking career. Um, d- did it start when you reached out to me, or was it a little bit before? And then yeah, yeah. So it was definitely before. Um, I mean, I think funny story about you, right? Is uh, so Mike uh, was introduced to me by my sister in law Ashley McDowell, who's a professor at, at Framingham State, oh. and she's like. Uh, you know, I was, I was actually really getting into the speaking and people were like, Hey, you got to have somebody videotape this. Yeah. So I asked her and she's like, yeah, you should talk to this guy. People speak very highly of him. Hmm. And then he shows up to the first event and I'm like, who the fuck is this child? <laughs> like, okay, wait, let's go back though. Let's come here. The first event, like uh, the day you had me show up early when it wasn't actually the event or the day that yeah. uh, was the actual event. Just a quick story for listeners here. Kevin reached out to me. We had a phone call, talked about it. You know, had this had this thing all arranged. He goes, yeah, this first speech is next Wednesday, September 22nd. And I'm like, okay, great. So I show up the Wednesday, September, whatever it was. And I park and I text him. I'm like, hey, where are you? He's like, um, at work. What's up? I was like, um, you said the speech is today. He calls me. He goes, holy shit. He's like, it's tomorrow. I'm so sorry. Yeah. This is totally my fault. And I was like, oh, yeah. No, no, no problem. I mean, I just paid 40 bucks for parking and just drove all the way up here from Rhode Island. It's no big deal, man. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> he got me back, though. It's all good. Yeah. The relationship was perfect after that. It was great. No, that was so funny, bad. though. So, yeah. Go, so, go ahead. But, um, you know, when I was... Uh, so, after I got hurt, I was uh, kind of like a wounded warrior VIP rep for my unit. So, like, you think of, like, a general officer, like, a you know, a general comes in, or a congressman or woman would come in. The Seattle Seahawks came in to see our facilities. Wow. Um, we had, like, the top-of-the-line facilities. And I would always go out there and, and talk to them about what had happened to me in the recovery process. You know, like, President Obama came to Seattle, and, like, I was chosen to go and, and talk That's to That's where him. you got that picture? Yeah. That's awesome. We'll have to put that one up for yeah, the... Yeah, we got to yeah. put that up. Yeah. Um, and so the, um, like, that... that I think that originally kind of got me comfortable being in front of people, telling my story, um, you know, and from there, like Cub Scout groups would ask me to speak or I'd come home and like my high school would ask me to speak or like, mm-hmm. you know, gave Father's Day uh, sermon at my dad's church. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, like people find this pretty interesting. This can be yeah. inspirational. And when I went to my that first term at, at, at MIT, I got asked to go back to Union to, to talk on, on Veterans Day. So I had a communications class that term and I was like, all right, well, I, I got to like actually put together like a message here in the story. And so I used that whole term to, to deliver, to, to, to refine that message and gave that speech. And that was kind of like the genesis there. And more people kept asking me um, and about a year and a half into grad school, I got really serious about like the messaging, yeah. how I was going to be able to like, how can I make this impactful? How can I do workshops with people? Um, and it's kind of, it's really just evolved and taken off from there. Yeah. And so, I mean, over the past, uh, what, like three years now it's been, have you been speaking? Yeah. Like I would say like pretty consistently, right. The past three years, three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like you, you've started to become almost a little bit self-employed, like, uh, almost like your little entrepreneurial spirit coming out a little. Yeah. So like everybody at business school is working on their like startups. Right. And I yeah. said, this is my startup, right. I'm working on my public there speaking career and like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. um, you know, working on a book at that time too. And, um, you know, just really like cultivating all of this and like trying to figure out how I could really distill down the lessons that I learned and give them to other people. What have you, I'm curious from like someone, you know, from our perspective, who's pretty much like only been self-employed. What do you, uh, what do you like most about this kind of like self-employed aspect? And what do you like the least? Um, well, I would say, um, what I like the least is that like that I'm still, I still work. Right. Yeah. (laughs) True. You have a full time. This is kind of like my side hustle. Right. So I'm up at like four 30 in the morning working on this or staying up late or any free time that I have is like, there's like kind of pretty much like, three things that I do. It's like my family, 
mm-hmm. my job, which I love. It's a company called ThreatStack in uh, Downtown Crossing. It's a cybersecurity company. And then, um, you know, Green Beret Foundation work slash like Wounded by War speaking, writing. Uh, work. A lot of stuff. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's it, you know. And so what do you like least? Um, you know, what do I like least? Um, the, um, you know, I think like, there's always like a like a healthy dose of uncertainty, right? Mm. You're self-employed, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think especially too in something that's not necessarily going to be like a reoccurring revenue type of thing. Right. Like it's typically like you know once you're done with one thing, you got to get the next thing. Yeah. You can you can turn that into like, hey, maybe we'll do business again here and there, but it's not like this annual source of income coming. Especially in. for speeches, it's like, all right, yeah. you did a, you spoke in the fall, maybe we'll bring you back next fall for a speech yeah. or something like that. But right. There's it, no in between really. Yeah. And like working on like, for me, it's been really cool. And like, these are kind of the lessons that I've learned is that like, as my life goes on, um, the story evolves and yeah. I learn new lessons and there's new aspects of it in which I yeah. think people can benefit from. Yeah. Um, you know, so now really focusing a lot on like, like resiliency, right? Like what are the things that I'm doing that have worked really well for me and the lessons I've learned? How do you install that in your life? Right. So that when something bad happens, you can revert back to what you know, and hopefully it's that good thing there. And then also really starting to delve a lot into the topic of transition. Um, You know, I transitioned out of the military was brutal for me. So I think that that's helpful on a couple of levels. It's helpful to guys and, and women who are transitioning out of the military, but it's also like everybody's going to have transitions in their lives. Right. Right. From one thing to another. Right. Yeah. And so like, how do you handle that? When you, when you, when you started giving these speeches, like how did you start to like really put a value on like your speech? My time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get that a lot. Like, oh, yeah, it's not bad for an hour's worth of work. I'm like, yeah, it's not really. <laughs> it's not an hour. They're not yeah. up with you at 4.30 in the morning yeah. when you're doing all the work for it. Right, yeah, like prepping for things, preparing yeah. things, or even like the thousands of hours that were literally put into everything that got up to that. Right, right for like, sure. Like you wouldn't have this story if you didn't get shot in the fucking stomach. Yeah, or like went through all the training and deployments and then like honestly spent a crap load of time. Yeah. Like, Practicing, practicing, practicing. Yeah. I mean, so much practice. Is there are so many people. I mean, just think about the amount of people who have been shot in the military, and they're not all up there speaking, sharing their story. Right, yeah. And I just think it's it's just such a unique kind of story and pattern of events that occurred. Um, yeah. You know, so that, like, to have to, there's, like, so much time that has gone into, like, that one hour, right? Right. Like, you see a movie, and it's an hour and a half, but, like, right. how much time it went into actually prepping for that thing. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, originally, like, I, I would just, people would ask me to speak, and I thought it was cool, so I would do it for free, and then yeah. it kind of got to a point where I'm like, dude, this is taking up a lot of yeah. my time, right? Yeah. Like, and I got a family, yeah. um, I have my health to worry about, mm-hmm. I'm working, and so I'm like, I have to I have to put a price on this. I right. wish I could do it forever. Like, I wish I could just right. go speak every day, and, like, yeah. my bills got paid, and mortgage <laughs> got paid, so if somebody wants to do that for me, we can, we can work <laughs> that out. Shut up. Um, yeah, now I will, like, contribute to society, right? <laughs> Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like I have to make it worthwhile for me. So right. like my, my thing is, is like, um, okay, this is what I charge. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. Like, all right, well, let's work together. Let's see what we can do here. It mm-hmm. depends like, you know, um, it depends on what's going on, what the situation is, but like yeah. ultimately, right. It's gotta be worthwhile for me to either take time off from right. work and use like my vacation yeah, or take time away from my family on an right. evening or a weekend to right. go and do this, which is really the only time you get with them to begin with. Right. Yeah. You know, just kind of given my work and everything. And so, uh, you know, a lot of that too is like, I would talk to my wife, I'm like, Hey, like, you know, they're saying this, what do you think? She's like, okay. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. So, and that's good. Cause I mean, you, you have a great job, so it's not like you, you're doing it for the money, but it's no. something that you, I'm do doing it for my be... kid's college plan. Right. There you go. There you go. Yeah. 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 What if they want to go to Harvard or yeah. MIT? Yeah. <laughs> Better earn a scholarship. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. They're going to be ambi- as ambitious as dad, or what do you think? Uh, you know, I think given who their parents are, you know, my <laughs> wife is working on her PhD or her third advanced degree. Yeah. I got a feeling it would probably be very similar there. Yeah, um, but awesome. yeah, I mean, it's like the thing is, honestly, like the amount of money I've actually made from this compared to the amount of time that I've actually put into this is like, pennies yeah right mm-hmm. like and uh i it's i'm not doing it for that i'm doing right. it because like this is the purpose of my life is to go out and to take these lessons and to share them with people yeah that's awesome that's amazing i got a kind of a question to change gears a little bit yeah 
what do you do to kind of keep your mind clear um, and like positive and That's going cool. nowadays? Because when we were out in Colorado, obviously you were with <laughs> us. Um, I heard you talking to Ricky about like meditating and stuff like that. Yeah. That's what I say. Like I'm a big fan of routine, right? Like you're going to fall back to the routine that you have, right? So say, you know, times get really tough um, and drinking is your thing, then you're going to go back to, you're going to be drinking, right? That's, you're going to be the crutch that you fall on to. Um, So I I like to develop like these healthy patterns, these healthy routines, right? That I do that work for me and like everybody's different, right? Yeah. And so people are like, well, this is, this is what, uh, you know, this person does, this is what that person does. Oh, I got to do that. I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, that's the worst advice you can do. Like right. see what they do, see what might work for you. Right. Try right. it. Everybody's and then, different. Yeah. Like Pat, make tailor your life to yourself. Cause you yeah. are a very unique individual and you have a unique purpose on this earth. So everything I do is like tailored to me and I've just taken it from other people. Right. So like I have a routine that I follow in the morning. I wake up, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. All right. Um, you know, then I'm going to go into some Bible study some journaling. Um, I do a gratitude every morning, like what I'm thankful for, write a little bit about my kids, mm. uh, work out. And then I'm like really on a great path for the day there. You're just yeah. feeling good going into the day. You know, I think it just kind of sets you up for success for me, at least. Um, like, and I think it's really up to each individual to figure out like, what is the way that they're going to be able to optimize how they start their day. And for me, I'm going to like people are like, you got to get up early in the morning. I'm like, well, get up early in the morning. If you're an early morning person, if you're not an early morning person, don't get up early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty it's simple. simple so you are, yeah. yeah. Or try uh, to go to bed a little earlier, <laughs> you know, yeah. change up. You might have to change one little thing to make it all work. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you make these small changes in your life that are going to have massive reverberations, yeah, right? I agree. Go to bed a half hour earlier. It's going to have a huge effect over cumulative yeah. over a week. That's three and a half hours extra sleep right there. Yeah. You know, and I think it's also too, it goes along with like the goal setting aspect of how I like to approach things is, you know, I say, all right, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. Like, let's set the end state. Now let's back into that. Yeah. So if this is the goal, then what are the small milestones along the way that I need to achieve to make sure that I'm on track? Like, what are the things that need to happen for me to actually achieve this goal? Um, that's how I was like, when I got hurt and I was in the hospital, I'm like, I want to run again. Yeah. All right. Well, you're in the intensive care. Your hip's broken. 20% of your colon's been removed and your stomach is open. All right. So the first step is you got to get out of the hospital. Okay? <laughs> right? like, yeah, yeah. And you have to set these milestones along the way for yourself. It's the same way with any, like if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting your own business, like yeah. you have this ultimate goal and vision of what you think things wanna, are going to be. Right. How are you going to get there? Yeah. What are the milestones you need to hit? Yeah. Cause you need to hit because that's going to measure your progress, but it's also going to keep you from getting discouraged. Yeah. Right. Like when you hit them, you got to celebrate those things. Right. Right. Because you could have one goal, but that goal might take 10 years. Right. And if that's the only goal you have, it's going to be a <laughs> 10 tough, years. Long, like, that's going to be a tough 10 years. Right. I was like, I learned this from special forces training. I want to be a Green Beret. Yeah. It's going to take two years. That's a long two years when it's yeah. three o'clock in the morning and you're tired and you're walking through a swamp in North Carolina. Yeah. And, you have and if that's like really the only goal you have. Right. So it's like, okay, well, let's break it up. It's like, all right, well, let's get to this next phase of training. And like, yeah. Dude, sometimes things will be so tough in your life where you say, all right, well, let's just get through this day. Right. Let's get to the next meal. Yeah. Or like, let's just put one step in front of foot in front of the other and, and get through it. Um, and then I think another thing too, right. When you set these goals is you have to say to yourself like, okay, these are, this is the goal. This is what I need to do to accomplish it. Am I willing to pay the price to do this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, am I willing to make the sacrifices to do it? Yeah. Or is it even like if something happens wrong in the morning, right? Like, you get cut off, like something happens, you're 10 minutes late. Like, you know, I I think that might've previously just like ruined my whole day and I'd be so pissed off about that. But you like say to yourself in that moment, right? Like, is it worth it? Am I going to let this ruin the rest of my day? Yeah. There's still a lot left. Yeah. (laughs) But how do you mentally train to do that? Yeah. That's interesting. Is that, do you think it's from the green berets and stuff in the military or, you know, I, I do think a lot of that started with the green berets where you're like, you learn to appreciate the smaller things, right? Yeah. You know, you're always going to be in some really difficult situations. Um, and so you, you, you appreciate those smaller things that you kind of take, you would normally take for granted. Um, and then I also think too, like <clears throat> kind of develop that mindset, um, you know, after I got hurt where I was just like, Hey, things can be much worse yeah. than, than they are right now. Yeah. So you got to be really happy and really appreciate like what's going on with your life. Um, and then it kind of had this inflection point too. Like, you know, I'd be like, Oh man, your recovery's going well. Like, think of where you'll be in six months and six months would come. And like, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Mm. 
And so I kind of like finally thought to myself, like, I don't like ever want to stop wanting to get better physically, better yeah. mentally or anything. But like, you also have to say to yourself, like, this could be it. So you got to be happy where you're at. Like you got to learn to be happy in that situation. Yeah. And so I think really just kind of like trying to look for the positives and everything. Yeah. That's the, a process that I went through for years to get to that mindset. So what, uh, what do you kind of see for the future of, uh, wounded by war, like you're speaking and, and all that. What do you kind of, what are your plans? Yeah. I mean, just kind of, this whole thing is kind of just taking the path that God wants it to take. And, yeah. you know, I never would have thought that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. So yeah. I'll just kind of continue to, to go where that goes. Um, kind of the things that I'm working on right now, um, yeah. you know, continue to work on the messaging in terms of, uh, you know, like putting on a resiliency workshop I just, <clears throat> just released. Um, and then, also, um, you know, started this book at grad school because uh, I didn't think I had enough going on with two master's degrees and <laughs> kids and a wife and stuff. Crazy. So I was like, let's write a book. Um, you know, so I wrote like probably 500 pages and it was just this incredibly cathartic experience. Um, and just really wasn't the book I intended to write. I guess it was the book I needed to write at that point. Yeah. So now working with another author to actually make it into um, a, a good read. But you people. physically wrote it every page you didn't hire someone and come in did you like actually wrote writer, right? like it's yeah. no no i, mean, I, I feel like a lot of people in your position would hire an author to begin with and then have like just reiterate that's the probably story what i should them. have done but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is is like it's more personal yeah, yeah, yeah and um no i did it all myself and uh it needs a ton of work and you know we're working on that right now but i, I needed to do that like i needed to work through all those experiences and i, I just couldn't finish it and i was like this doesn't make any sense why can't i finish it i was like realized finally I was like the story's not done not done yet um, but now I think it's, it's evolving like, every day yeah right and I think it's time to like get the initial version out there yeah, yeah. part one that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> part one right uh, I got one more question for you you know with our relationship that we have you know we're interviewing all, interviewing you all the time mm-hmm. we're out in the mountains of Colorado with a camera in your face yeah. you're going through hell we still got a camera in your face has there ever been a point you wanted to punch me or Mike in the face <laughs> <laughs> having a camera that's a good just that's always a good shoving a camera because i thought about it a lot in colorado when i was yeah. like he's gonna murder me yeah. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna he murder really me. did he came back to the car he's like dude he's like uh he's like i know like kevin always says like it's fine like everything's all good he's like but he looks fucking pissed <laughs> <laughs> oh, i was just so tired yeah, yeah. No, I mean, honestly, man, I've loved working with you guys. Um, I haven't had a moment where I've gotten, like, frustrated or angry with you. Yes. Um, you guys work, like, crazy, and I love it. Love seeing the drive. And cool. just, like, the things we've been able to create together are amazing. Yeah. So I think it's really kind of just the beginning for us. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's That's still true. a lot of time for me to want to punch you in the face. Right? <laughs> yeah, if you ever do, just uh, yeah, just warn me first so I can – I'll get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hit, hit that mic. Hit yeah. that mic. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so, Kevin, tell people um, where they can find you, where they can learn more. Yeah. and Yeah, yes, yeah, so you can learn more by going to my website, woundedbywar.com, or you could also follow me on Facebook, the Wounded by War page. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, I'm at Wounded by War. And then, of course, on LinkedIn, too, I'm uh, Kevin R. Flyke. So, yeah, please hit me up on there and uh, take a look and see mm-hmm. uh, see what you like. And if you find it inspiring, please share it. Yeah. And like, like we've said, and as you've probably noticed, he's an open book. If you ever have any questions, I'm sure uh, I'm sure he won't uh, send them my way. Yeah, exactly. Slide in my DMs. Yeah, so. there you go. It's cool. cool kids do these days, right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, all right, guys. So that's it for this one. Uh, thanks for sticking in. Um, if you guys have any questions for us, uh, as always, hit us up on Instagram at Up in Your Biz Pod. Um, share the podcast with your friends. Pass it on. Um, please check let it us- out on YouTube too. Yeah, we're on YouTube oh, now. Nice, right there, right there. There we go. Um, uh, Please let us know what you guys think. We'd love uh, some feedback. And um, as always, see you next week and uh, have a good one. We've been taking care of